0: Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Pactum. I'm Pat Abendroth, and I'm joined together with Mike Grimes. And Mike and I today are going to be talking about the second largest religion in the world.
1: But before we do talk about that second largest religion in the world, we do want to say thank you to our listeners uh, we know there are several of you that are subscribing and listening. Each several. Week. I'm glad we have several. several. We have several. I don't. <laughs> you know, you can't track these
0: statistics exactly, so we'll just go with several.
1: Hundreds, thousands of listeners.
0: So we, I think we have. I think several to me means means four.
1: <laughs> well, there's so. far more than several, and we know we have listeners around the globe. That's true. Uh, We're thankful for each of you listening and sticking with us. Trust you're enjoying the podcast, being encouraged as we continue on each week. So, Pat, let's get to that second largest religion in the world. What are we going to be talking about today?
0: So, obviously, we, we are going to be talking about Islam. I do want to offer the qualifier uh, that needs to be made, and that's that neither of us are experts. Right. We don't play experts of, on Islam on t- television, uh, maybe on a podcast, at least for one episode. <laughs> but I've read the Quran or at least a translation of it. They would say that it's not actual, actually the Quran if it's not read in Arabic Uh, But I've read a translation. I've read numerous books on the topic by Muslims and by Christians, listened to hours of lectures. It's definitely a point of interest, but again, not an expert, uh, just wanting to know enough to be able to engage uh, those I know who are Muslim and also help our listeners to be able to do the same kind of thing.
1: Right. So we're going to have just kind of a general introduction for Christians about Islam, we have some questions that will help us work through it uh, throughout the episode. So maybe we start, Pat, by talking about why are we going to talk about this and what makes Islam important?
0: And so that is question number one of 10 questions. So if you'd like to know where we're, where we're going with this, that is where we're going. So why talk about it? What makes it important? Well, if it's the second largest largest religion with over a billion people, well over a billion people um, a part of it. That means one out of five. Some people say one out of four people are Muslims. Mm-hmm. I was dropping one of my kids off, uh, just yesterday and saw a Muslim woman dropping her kids off. And I thought there, there you have it. Um, they may live on your street. Uh, they may, uh, be with you in the grocery store. These are people who are made in God's image, who are part of a religion that is not Christian. It's very different from Christian. uh, And yet we're called to make disciples of all different kinds of people for the fame of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the great commission causes me to be interested. Hmm. I want to be able to explain the gospel clearly to people. And sometimes to do that, I need to know something about what they believe so that they can understand what I 'm talking about, and I can understand how they might be interpreting what I 'm talking about, sure. so I want to be clear. so the Great Commission compels us uh, the large number of people who are Muslim compels us, uh, and the fact that our culture sometimes talks about the fact that there are three Abrahamic faiths, mm. and that somehow we're told that they're they're basically the same, right. And we know that they're not basically the same. They're actually very different, uh, regardless of what Bono might sing about. (laughs) Before moving any further, I thought it would be helpful for people to hear from Muslims who have Western-style marketing, trying to reach out and help people understand their religion uh, from a source called whyislam.org. So if you want to read a couple of excerpts from whyislam.org, I think it might help us to understand uh, how they're marketing themselves, how they're presenting themselves, uh, and it sounds pretty good the way they're uh, presenting themselves. So why don't you read a couple of those excerpts? Yeah. Islam is a faith
1: and comprehensive way of life that literally means peace through submission to God. It provides a clear understanding of a person's relationship with God, purpose in life, and ultimate destiny. A Muslim is someone who adopts the Islamic way of life by believing in the oneness of God and the prophethood of Muhammad, peace be upon him. Today, Islam is one of the fastest growing religions and is practiced by more than 1.2 billion Muslims across
0: the world so they've done a good job of presenting themselves it seems pretty straightforward seems pretty mainstream uh, it's not like they're hiding anything right. so a good job on their marketing and yep. they're aiming that at Western kinds of people yep. and so It at least helps us to hear from them who they are. Maybe a second quote from whyislam.org.
1: Islam is the culmination of the universal message of God taught by all of his prophets. Muslims believe that a prophet was chosen for every nation at some point in their history, enjoining them to worship God alone and delivering guidance on how to live peacefully with others. Some of the prophets of God include Adam, Noah, Abraham, Ishmael, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad, peace be upon them all. The prophets all conveyed the consistent divine message of worshiping one God, along with specific societal laws for each nation's circumstances. However, after the prophets delivered the divine guidance to their people, their message was lost, abandoned, or changed over time, with only parts of the original message intact. God then sent another prophet to rectify their beliefs.
0: And so in comes the key uh, prophet of them all, who would be Muhammad. Muhammad lived between 570 and 632, and that would be A.D., and he is their key prophet. Um, Sometimes people say he's not the the standout one, but I think generally speaking, uh, Muslims would say that he definitely is the standout one. Mm. Um, Muslims would say that all of the prophets have taught the same thing, but it's become corrupt, uh, lost sight of. And so Muhammad is really the key figure. Now, there are different kinds of Muslims. Uh, the two major factions are of Muslims would be the Sunni. They're the largest group. About 80% of all Muslims are Sunni. And then the Shia, which would be about 15%. And then there are others uh, that are small. But the two major divisions in Islam, uh, both would claim to be followers of Muhammad. Both would claim the Quran. Uh, but they would be the Sunni and the and the Shia. Also, we should point out the fact that in Islam, uh, their book is going to be the Quran. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But so centrality of Muhammad as the key prophet. And then they have the five pillars. Right. The five pillars would be, number one, faith or belief in the oneness of God, which was in their marketing right, literature. Right and also the, the centrality of Muhammad being his prophet. Second pillar of Islam would be the establishment of daily prayers, very important if you're a Muslim. Yeah. Third pillar, concern for almsgiving, taking care of the needy. Christians might think of tithing, but it's actually different. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth would be self-purification through fasting, think of Ramadan. Yep. And then finally, it would be a pilgrimage to Mecca for those who are able to go there. Yeah. So that helps us to see why we'd want to talk about this, why it's important, and a little bit about what Islam is. You can do all kinds of reading. We're just giving you the 30,000-foot kind of right. glance as to what it is. Uh, but I think we can move on now and talk about our next question regarding Islam, and that would be similarities and differences between Islam and Christianity.
1: Right. Some of, one of the first similarities you can hear, even as we've read through some of these quotes and the five pillars of Islam, is that the... Bible figures they mention are similar or the same as Christians would know of Bible figures. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Ishmael, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Mary, Jesus, they they share those Bible figures in common with Christianity.
0: And a lot of times I think Christians are surprised by that Yeah, because sometimes we as Christians are ignorant about what Islam teaches, uh, what the Quran talks about. So when I sat down and read the Quran, I was surprised at, about the fact that it talks about Jesus, um, talks about Mary, talks about those kinds of figures. Years, there's definitely similarities in that sense. Yeah. There's also a theological similarity because both Christianity and Islam are monotheistic, yeah. so strongly one God in emphasis. Yep. In Deuteron- Deuteronomy six four, uh, Christians and Jews believe in monotheism, strongly so. Uh, though Islam would say maybe not so much with Christianity, but we'll get get to that in more detail later. So there's definite common ground and. If you're only a casual observer or an outsider, or you might listen to liberal media or something like that, you may conclude that, well, there, there's actually so much similarity that maybe it's sort of like different denominations, right. because again, we have the Abrahamic faiths, and they talk about Jesus, and we talk about Jesus, and uh, we affirm the Old Testament prophets. So maybe we're fundamenta- fundamentally the same. Which brings
1: us to our third question we want to look at, and that is, how does the Quran differ from the Bible? So we have some similarities, but now let's look at some differences between Islam and
0: Christianity. So, Mike, here in my hot little hand, as you can see, but our listeners can't, I have the study Quran. You do, yep. And it looks a lot like a Bible when it comes to the size of it. But in reality, it's large the way it is maybe to look like a Bible, but also for the fact that it has all kinds of notes and introductions and things like that, because the fact is uh, the Quran is more along the size of the New Testament. Hmm. So if you were to take out the study notes, it would look uh, a lot smaller. That means it's actually pretty, pretty easy to read, at least a translation of it is. And so as we're talking about this, I would encourage people to read it sometime. Uh, So that they're at least familiar. One reason I was compelled to read it was because I wanted to be able to talk to talk with people who are Muslim and at least get the ball rolling, so to speak, and have a conversation and to be informed. So it's different because of the size. It's different because it's in Arabic, and Muslims would say it's only in Arabic, truly only in Arabic. Mm -hmm. So whereas Christians say. We could have an English translation of the Bible, and we would call it the Bible, and it would be legitimate. Um, It would be different when it comes to Islam, when it comes to their understanding. Sure. So I think a Muslim would say, I've not actually read the Quran; I've read a translation. Yeah, that's interesting. The Bible was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and so that would make it different. Uh, The arrangement, books of the Bible are in different order for different reasons, but in the Quran, it's from the largest to the smallest, so by the end uh, the chapters are really short. Another
1: difference of the Quran from the Bible is how they received uh, the Quran. They believe in a strict dictation. Muslims believe that the Quran exists as a literal book in heaven, Uh, And it was dictated to the prophet Muhammad by the angel Gabriel.
0: Definitely different from the Christian perspective of of inspiration. Right, right. So there are portions of the Bible that were strictly dictated. Uh, Think about the Ten Commandments. But generally speaking, Christians believe that the Bible is God's uh, revelation, his perfect revelation, but... He worked through people's personalities. Uh, so if you look at 2 Timothy 3.16, it's all God-breathed. But if you cross-reference with 2 Peter chapter 1, right. it's God moving them, superintending, guiding, yeah. so as to say all of the right things. But it wasn't a heavenly book first and then dictated. Right. Right. Uh, so it, definitely a different perspective when it comes to... Uh, Our different holy books. Sure, yeah. And then when it comes to differences, obviously when we compare the Quran and the Bible, the theology is actually radically different. So that moves us into
1: a fourth question we want to talk about, and that is, why question the legitimacy of the Quran?
0: I think there are multiple answers to that question. For the sake of our brief podcast and what we're doing, let's just focus on one issue. Mm -hmm. And this is actually an important issue to focus on. And I hope our listeners can benefit from us thinking this through together. And that is the fact that the Quran claims to be perfect. And yet the Quran, when it represents Christians and Christianity, it actually misrepresents Christians Mm -hmm. and Christianity. So again, think about what's happening here. The Quran claims to be perfect. And yet, when it explains Christianity, it teaches that Christians believe something that no Christians have ever believed. So it's a historical misrepresentation. And if you have a historical misrepresentation, and even grossly so, um, then you lose credibility. Your book isn't perfect. Whoever wrote your book uh, actually didn't know what they were talking about, which is a pretty big accusation. And the issue at hand that we're talking about would have to do with the Trinity. Yeah. So when we look at the Quran and what it says about what Christians believe regarding the Trinity, Mm -hmm. which is a hot topic and a big issue, uh, Muslims believe, and I've met with a Muslim even here in our city, believe that Christians teach that the Trinity is Father, Mary, and Jesus. Yeah. And so I, right before my very eyes, sitting in this man's office, he's talking about what Christians believe and how we're different and how we believe that it's Father, Mary, and Jesus as the Trinity. And I, I almost wanted to laugh yeah. uh, because I don't believe that, and no Christian actually uh, officially has ever believed that, right. and yet the Quran teaches that we believe that. Before we go any further, maybe to
1: quote from the Quran itself, Quran 5, 116 says, And behold, Allah will say, O Jesus, the Son of Mary, didst thou say unto men, Take me and my mother for two gods beside Allah? He will say, Glory to thee, never could I say what I had no right to say. And then from Quran 4, 171, it says, O people of the book, commit no excesses in your religion, nor say of Allah aught but the truth. Christ Jesus, the Son of Mary, was no more than a messenger from Allah and his word which he bestowed on Mary and a spirit proceeding from him so believe in Allah and his messengers say not three desist it will be better for you for Allah is one god glory be to him far exalted is he above having a son
0: did you notice that last part he does not have a son god right. doesn't have any sons and what's important is the fact that we're not just taking these two texts from the Quran and somehow making Muslims say something that they don't say by right. these things. Right. If you go to a site like islamicawareness.org, uh, they will definitely say that Christians teach that Mary is part of the Trinity and this is what Christians have believed and always believe. And they also offer pushback. And they say, and, and Christian apologists have been, have been saying that that's not true, that it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But in reality, the Muslims are saying, this is what Christians have believed. Right. No Christian, at least in any kind of official capacity, has whether they're Roman Catholic or Protestant yeah. or Eastern Orthodox or anything like that, would ever, ever say, Father, Mary, and Jesus. Yes. Yeah. And so the Quran is historically erring, yeah. and it's erring grossly. And that causes me to say that there is a problem. Yeah. Now, what is kind of interesting to think about is if Muhammad were traveling in his day and he were to happen upon a church and he were to go in and he can't understand he doesn't understand the language they're speaking in mm-hmm. and he were to see the statues and the art on the walls perhaps you can definitely give the guy a break yeah if you will yeah. because here you have a statue of mary and you might have mariolatry even um from our perspective you have a statue of mary and mary holding a baby and you may conclude that these people uh maybe they do emphasize mary a lot you may conclude that these people who are trinitarian believe in father wife mary if you will and jesus yeah. the baby yeah. but you would be in ignorance you would be getting it wrong uh because even those christians who maybe emphasize mary too much from our perspective, sure. uh, let's just, let's grant that for the sake of argument. It still is not what they believe. Right. So maybe let's move
1: now into a fifth question, uh, talking about Jesus. What is it that Islam teaches
0: about Jesus? They teach that he was a prophet among 124,000 prophets, mm-hmm. but he's actually an important prophet. And so there is respect that is given to Jesus And that's why when you read in the Bible, uh, or excuse me, that's why when you read in the Quran, uh, they will speak positively of him, Hmm. but they always have him saying, he's not the son, the Trinity's not true, it's not three, Um, only worship Allah, don't worship me, because he's not divine, because it's not Trinitarian. So that's the positive, but there is the negative. They deny things like the crucifixion of Jesus. Mm. Uh, The Quran teaches that Jesus was not crucified. Do you want to go ahead and read from Quran 4, 157?
1: It says, And for they're saying, indeed, we have killed the Messiah, Jesus, the son of Mary, the messenger of Allah. And they did not kill him, nor did they crucify him. They did not
0: kill him. They did not crucify him.
1: But another was made to resemble him to them, and indeed those who differ over it are in doubt about it. They have no knowledge of it except the following of assumption, and they did not kill him
0: for certain. For certain,
1: Jesus was not
0: crucified. Right. So we do not have two religions teaching the same thing. Right. They're fundamentally different religions, and Christians need to know that, and non-Christians need to know that. How about another text? This is from Quran 572. I'll read that. They have certainly disbelieved who say Allah is the Messiah, the son of Mary. While the Messiah has said, "O children of Israel, worship Allah, my Lord and your Lord. Indeed, he who associates others with Allah, Allah has forbidden him paradise and his refuge is the fire. And there are not, for the wrongdoers any helpers. Hmm. So point being, Jesus denied that he was divine. Um, this would be contrary to what Jesus would say in terms of before before Abraham was, I am yeah. claiming that uh, divine title uh, and things such as this, accepting worship. So the Quran teaches the opposite of what the Bible teaches because it denies the deity of Christ. Right.
1: Maybe one more from the Quran. In 5, 116, it says, And beware the day when Allah will say, O Jesus, Son of Mary, did you say to the people, Take me and my mother as deities besides Allah? He will say, Exalted are you. It was not for me to say that to which I have no
0: right. So notice that the author of this book is assuming that Christians believe that the mother is deity. Yes. Which, again, is in error. We have to point this out. So among other things, we have the Quran and Muslims denying the deity of Christ, denying the crucifixion of Jesus, uh, which would also be tied to denying the resurrection of Jesus, yeah. because you don't have a resurrection if you don't have crucifixion. And so by way of contrast, these are the very, very things that are essential to Christianity. Right. Essential for salvation, essential for justification. Uh, these are all contrary to Romans 10, 9, and 10. And so we need to have our eyes wide open and seeing the differences between Islam and Christianity.
1: So, continuing to talk about some of these differences between Islam and Christianity, how is the God of Islam different from the God of the Bible? You know, you hear sometimes people say, well, you say God, I say Allah. How is it different?
0: Well, I think we could say if we had an Arabic Bible, uh, I think it actually does translate uh, God as Allah. So, nothing wrong with the name Allah. But there is a fundamental difference uh, between these two monotheistic religions. So mono meaning one, but one is Trinitarian. Christianity is Trinitarian monotheism and Islam is Unitarian monotheism. And so they are radically different. Christians recognize this, and also Muslims recognize this. We are different, uh, and we're Trinitarians, they're Unitarian, we believe in one God, and Islam may not understand that part. We're going to be accused of being Mm tritheistic, pluralistic, but authentic Christianity is not tritheistic. It is monotheistic, but there is one eternal God who eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we're not saying three gods uh, and one at the same time, that would be contradictory, Uh, but Christianity does teach monotheism, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, It's a bit of a mystery. We're not going to do a Trinitarian class right now, but It's not a contradiction. It's not a logical fallacy even. They're also different because in Islam, there's a great emphasis on God being so utterly distinct and different. Maybe we should say transcendent that it's as if he's unknowable. Hmm. And Christians believe in the transcendence of God and he's different and there's a radical distinction between creature and creator, but we don't have him to the point of being unknowable. Right, right. In fact, we have the, the incarnation and we have John chapter one, verse 14. He comes here and he makes God known in a very real way. Right. It doesn't detract from his deity by adding humanity when it comes to the hypostatic union and the person of Christ, uh, but it, it makes our religions radically different. Right. So the Quran talks about God and... And Muslims would say it speaks truthfully about God, but it's almost to the point, and you hear Muslims speak sometimes uh, to the point where he's he's unknowable and he it would be de- utterly degrading for him to come here sure. and to make himself known as Christians know that God has made himself known in Christ. There's another difference, but before we get to it, maybe I can talk about a similarity first because it's a Christian misconception. Sometimes Christians think, or they've been told even in books on Islam, I have one in front of me written by an evangelical that in Islam, God is sovereign. Hmm. Uh, but in Christianity, uh, it's as if he's not, (laughs) or in Islam he's transcendent and it's very much law, but there's no mercy. There's no love. But when you read the Quran, God is described as merciful. Hmm. He is described as, uh, Loving in different ways, in different aspects, forgiving in different ways, in different aspects. And so we don't want to misrepresent uh, the Quran or Muslims or the religion of Islam as some Christians sadly have done. But that's where I like to step up to the plate a little bit and say, this is problematic though for Islam. It's problematic when it comes to logic and theology because you do have a God who is a judge and he's... Uh, described as just, and yet he forgives. Hmm. So how in the world can a God who is judge and a just judge, how can he forgive people who are lawbreakers? And Christians would say he actually can't. He can't according to your scheme. There's only one way that he would be able to forgive rebels if he's a just judge, and there's only one way, and that would be to provide a substitute. And so we we would emphasize texts like Romans three three twenty six, uh, God is righteous; He shows His righteousness, and He is the just or the righteous and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So, Islam a, a, a fatal flaw in Islam is that you have a just judge with Allah, and He forgives sinners. Yeah. It's an utter absolute impossibility. He must be a compromising judge. Yeah. If he says there can be forgiveness, the beauty of, of the Christian gospel is God does not lower his standard. He's, he doesn't resort to being an unjust judge. He maintains his justice by providing a substitute, pouring out his judgment upon his son. And not only that also, because his son is righteous, he can declare sinners righteous and not be a compromising God. So that's actually really critical, that we understand what they're teaching, we understand how it's different, and we understand the beauty of the Christian gospel, because they're worlds apart. Yeah.
1: So moving things along, maybe getting into a seventh question of what are some other theological differences between Islam and Christianity? Now, this list could be a really long list, but uh, we want to keep it brief here, and maybe you might be interested to know that uh, Islam denies the fall. And they deny total depravity. So they're denying the sinfulness of mankind from birth. And when it comes to salvation, as Christians think of salvation uh, in Islam, they're going to say that it's possible for you to be forgiven, uh, but that's certainly going to come by obedience. And that is not a sure thing, uh, because you have God who is somewhat of an arbitrary God, and so they may not be able to have an assurance of what's to come after death, uh, but all that to say, it's entirely different uh, than Christianity and what we would teach and believe about mankind being sinful before holy God, and that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, and we can be sure of this salvation because of what Christ has done, the object of our faith.
0: And maybe just to clarify one thing, you said he's an arbitrary God, and I would agree with that, but it's more complicated than that. Than that. So if we had a Muslim with us. I think it would, we would conclude arbitrary, Mm -hmm. but it's probably because they so emphasize sovereignty, um, unknowability. He's so distant, um, that he can do whatever he wants to do. And we actually can't be certain what he will do. Right. And we would say that that seems rather arbitrary because in Christianity we have sureness, not because he's under our thumb, not because we've been able to put him in a box, but because he's made clear, definite promises And those clear, definite promises are yes and amen Mm -hmm. because of the finished work of Christ. Yeah. So, Pat, we've been
1: talking about some differences between Christianity and Islam. And does Islam endorse violence? Let's talk about that for a bit.
0: Well, if you're asking me if all who subscribe to Islam, all Muslims, are violent, I would say no. Obviously not. That's right. uh, Thankfully not. But if you're asking, and you are, does Islam endorse violence— well, when I read the Quran and I hear other people talk about the Koran, uh, there's definitely an endorsement of violence. Right. So I'm glad that there are different kinds of Muslims. Yep. I'm glad that they don't all apply these things.
1: Pat, we hear from the news, we hear from politicians that Islam is a religion of peace. Uh, but what, what about radical Islam? Maybe help flesh that out a little bit for our listeners.
0: So when we, in just a moment, we're going to read some excerpts from the Quran. And if radical Islam means you actually believe the Quran, which is what Muslims are supposed to do, it would seem to me, and I'm an outsider, but I've listened to enough lectures and read enough, that Muslims are committed to the Quran and what it says, and the Quran definitely endorses violence at times. And so maybe radical Islam, again, from where I sit, seems to be faithful Islam, Mm -hmm. and I can't help but conclude that therefore Islam promotes violence. Mm. I'm thankful that not all Muslims do. Yeah. Uh, really thankful. But this is a hard one to get around. When I read from the Quran, nine twenty nine and 30, these words, fight against those who do not believe in Allah. How about that? Fight against those who do not believe in Allah, or in the last day, and who do not consider unlawful what... Allah and his messenger have made unlawful and who do not adopt the religion of truth from those who are given the scripture fight until they give the jizya willingly while they are humbled. Hmm. So that doesn't sound very peaceful to me in the least bit, right? So I've heard Muslims suggest that this doesn't really mean what it says, but I've also heard Muslims teach that it does mean what it says. Right. And I've also heard Christians who used to be Muslims say it definitely the words have meaning. Yeah. And again, thankfully it's not always applied and it might be in different settings at different times, but it is what it is. Or how about if we move on to the Quran in 4:34 where it says this. A different kind of violence. Men are in charge of women by right of what Allah has given one over the other and what they spend for maintenance from their wealth. So righteous women are devoutly obedient, guarding in the husband's absence what Allah would have them guard. But those wives from whom you fear arrogance, first advise them, then if they persist, forsake them in bed, and finally strike them. And the person who's translating it here put in brackets, lightly. So strike them perhaps lightly, but if they obey you once more, seek no means against them. Indeed, Allah is ever exalted and grand. Hmm. So we can easily get on YouTube or we can get online and we can have these, these things explained away. Uh, but it seems to me that faithful Islam that follows the Quran is going to promote something uh, that is contrary to Christianity and contrary to what I would be comfortable with. And so let it be known that it's definitely different and maybe radical means faithful. Uh, I suppose maybe some would call us radical Christians as opposed to United Methodists Mm -hmm. because we take the Bible seriously, literally, and the New Testament is actually to believe to be believed as God's word and you must believe in Jesus or you don't don't have eternal life. So maybe it's like that. I don't know, but we're not talking about unfaithful to the Quran Muslims. We're talking about faithful to the Quran Muslims who would be adopting such things. Yeah. I listened to one former Muslim scholar talking about this, and in his opinion, just his opinion, he said it seems to him that the closer people are to following the actual teaching of the Quran instead of teachers and different sects, but if they're actually trying to follow the text, uh, the more radical they are, because and the more prone to violence they are, because they're taking it at face value. Right. So Pat, what do we say then when someone
1: kind of pushes back a little bit and says, well, the Bible's quite violent, and Christians have been violent in the past, in history. What do we say to them about that?
0: Probably two things. The first one would be the Old Testament and the nation of Israel are one thing, and the church made up of all nations uh, is, is another thing altogether. And so there is a distinction. The church is to be filled with all different kinds of people, from all different kinds of backgrounds, and the church is not tied to a government. It's not tied to a state. It's not tied to politics, or at least it's not supposed to be. So nation of Israel, old Testament, uh, and that's different from what we have in Christianity. Christians are called to not be violent. Right. Uh, Christians are called to be peaceful. Christians are not to be, I mean, Christianity essentially is not political. Yeah. It's, to, it's to be apolitical. So there's a huge difference Uh, That doesn't mean there haven't been Christians who have failed to understand this and who've done horrific things in the name of Christ. But we would say they've not been doing it right. So we think the Old Testament is true in what it says, but it's talking about national Israel in, in a certain setting. And that would be different from the church, which is made up of all different kinds of people. And so those two things actually are really important. Faithful Christianity is not going to be violent, right. though there have been Christians who have been. It seems that faithful Islam actually is going to be right, violent, right. and there's a huge difference between those two things. Yeah.
1: So, Pat, you just mentioned national Israel in the Old Testament, and national Israel in the Old Testament was a theocracy. Um, we think about Islam, uh, maybe a ninth question I'd ask is, is Islam theocratic, and why does that matter?
0: I think the answer to that is yes. And one big problem we have, for example, in America is we tend to think of Islam the same way we think of Christianity. Mm. And so I think it would be helpful if we didn't do that. And we thought of Islam more along the lines of Israel. Sure. So I realize that's a total can of worms. So I'm not trying to do total apples to apples, but you have national Israel. Let's think of Israel in the old Testament and you have a King. So you have theocracy, right? For lack of a better, simple label, well, it's similar in Islam, and Islam is—it's a—it's a a whole culture. It it seeks to be national. That's why they have Sharia law, or they have a desire to have Sharia law, which is also very controversial. Um, But it's what they desire. It is what they long for. So we're going to follow God's law, and we want God's law to rule the land, and so it's more theocratic. We need to have that in mind uh, in modern America, for example, because it's very different from the way we think of Christianity, for example, in America where there's freedom of religion and on purpose. We don't want to have a state religion. Right. And so that it's very different. So when I'm driving down the street and I see the coexist bumper sticker. Yeah. I think that the person who has the bumper sticker might mean well, and I certainly want to coexist with other people, but when you're dealing with a religion that seeks to be militant Mm. and seeks to be tied to government and to have everyone be under, for example, Sharia law, it ends up being maybe at first easy to coexist, uh, but what happens when they're in the majority? Right. And now it's not coexist anymore. Uh, now it's something altogether different. It's more theocratic, and so it seems like maybe we're naive when it comes to understanding understanding the world's religions and what they actually teach and not what the talking head on the cable news says the religion sure. teaches. So I think we need to be more aware of how Christianity is very different from Islam. And in particular, even in this area. So not just when it comes to salvation, though, that's most important, um, or when it comes to understanding Christ, obviously most important, but even how it functions and works in a society and what it's desiring to do in a society. So, Pat,
1: maybe we could wrap this up by thinking about a tenth question of How should Christians then view Muslims? And you know, as we've been talking about all these different aspects of Islam and the differences between Christianity and Islam, you know, we we can't help but think that Muslims are fellow sinners in need of salvation in Christ. And so, as Christians, when we see those who are Muslim or interact with them or talk with them, we should view them as sinners who need Christ. They need salvation. They need to hear the gospel. So how should Christians view Muslims? We should love Muslims, and we should love them enough to speak the truth to them. We they, don't. Yeah,
0: that's, that's a great point. We don't look down on them as somehow right. worse sinners than us, right. because we should, as Christians, echo the Apostle Paul and see ourselves as chief of sinners. Yes. I'm the number one sinner that I know, yep. the number one, number one violator of God's law that I know. So I want to see Muslims as people in need just like I'm in need. Right.
1: And all of this too, you know, helps us see that they may have been mistaught about Christianity and as I'm loving them, uh, maybe I want to learn what they believe and what they have been taught so I might better be able to speak to them, be able to relate to what they've learned and heard and be able to share Christ with them.
0: No, I think that's I think that's great. And I don't want to try to be an expert in everything on planet Earth. Right. I think first yeah. and foremost, Christians need to know what they believe and why they believe it. Yes. And so knowing that Muslims have similar terminology, they talk about God, they talk about one God, they talk about Jesus. I want to make sure I understand where they're coming from. So when I speak, they're understanding what I'm saying. Hmm. It doesn't mean they're going to believe it, right. but... It really is important that I have a better understanding, I think, and that everyone does, uh, of where Muslims are coming from so that we're sure to communicate the sure truth to them in a way that they can maybe understand. Right.
1: So as we close out, Pat, what are some resources that you might recommend for Christians on
0: Islam I can't recommend reading the Quran enough, or at least a translation of it. It's pretty eye-opening. It doesn't take a lot of time. It's rather interesting. Uh, I think you can find it online for free. You can buy the study Quran like I did. Uh, Not necessary to do that. But... It's fascinating uh, to learn and to understand. And my prayer has been that God will put more people in my life who are Muslims uh, so that I can talk to them about what I learned uh, from their book and how I found it interesting and then questions that I had. So I would recommend it. I would also recommend simple resources uh, like like in the ESV study Bible in the back. There are good articles. Well, there's, there's a nice short brief synopsis uh, on Islam or the Quran. And things like that go a long way. Yeah. If you want to take a bit more of a deeper dive, uh, James White, a number of years ago, wrote a book called What Every Christian Needs to Know About the Quran. Yeah. Not the easiest thing in the world to read, but I'm thankful for that. I think our listeners might enjoy listening to some of the lectures that Biola University has from a Muslim man converted to, be, to being a Christian. Uh, he's no longer alive, but I thought those were rather interesting. And finally, I would say there's some discernment that's necessary. I have a couple of books in front of me written by Christians. One was a former Muslim that really was disappointing in what it said and didn't say about Islam. Uh, When I read the actual Quran and knowing what I know about Christian theology, uh, they they missed the mark. There were some good things in there, but they also misrepresented uh, both Christianity, Mm -hmm. strangely enough, as well as Islam. I also have a book in front of me written by someone who is uh, very left-leaning politically, uh, very politically correct in America, who professes to be a Muslim that I also thought was fascinating, but definitely doesn't represent uh, the Quran that I was reading. Hmm. So seems to be pushing more of a PC kind of thing uh, than anything else. I think I even went and heard him speak one time when he was here uh, in Omaha. So be discerning, uh, but be thoughtful, do your best to represent people for what they actually would say, according to their actual book and pray for opportunities, opportunities to befriend Muslims so that you might have opportunity to tell them about the great love of God for us in Christ Jesus, so that they too might come to believe in the Jesus of the Bible and be rescued from coming condemnation.
1: As always, we want to thank you for joining us today. We trust that this has been helpful and informative for you. We'll see you next time here on The Pact.